Acts chapter 14. We're going to use this passage as a jumping off point uh, for my message today. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. And the title of my message today is Problems Mean Possibilities. Problems Mean Possibilities. So we're looking at Acts chapter 14. If you don't have your Bibles, I do have it up here on the screen if you want to look at that as well. So Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 says this. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude of both the Jew, of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. Praise the Lord for that. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the, the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe and cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this house. We're so grateful for the freedom that we have here as, an Amer as Americans to be able to worship you uh, as we choose fit. And Father, I ask, God, that you would just bless us now as we've come together for a purpose, to worship you, to learn more about you, and that we would be impacted by your word. And so I'm asking, God, that every individual that's in this sanctuary this morning would be present, not thinking about what happened yesterday or tomorrow or this next week, but, Father, that they would be dialed in to your word, dialed in to our subject matter this morning. And Father, for those folks that are in this congregation that find themselves discouraged or overwhelmed by problems in their lives, I pray that they would receive not just an encouragement, but that they would receive a challenge as we start thinking about having the proper perspective on problems. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us your words so relevant, so practical. And I'm asking God right now that your Holy Spirit that is in this place would fill us with understanding and wisdom and knowledge that we might be able to be impacted by it to live lives that are in harmony and in connection with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, newsflash, there's 27 days left in this year. In 27 days, we'll be in a brand new year, 2023. And as we take stock over these next few weeks, these next few days, about how 2022 worked or didn't work, I'm encouraging you, I'm, in I'm going to challenge you and me to be able to take stock at maybe some of the successes and probably more importantly some of the mistakes or problems that we had in 2022 so that we can make the course adjustments so that we can have the success in 2023 that will make us be more relevant and more uh, put us in a place to be able to be a blessing to more people. I love talking about Paul. Paul was a unique man. He was motivated. He was dedicated. He was hard-headed. I mean, he had a plan. He worked his plan, and he didn't let a lot of stuff get in the way of that plan. So this morning, I want to look at his outlook, specifically his outlook on problems. 
And I want to challenge you, I want to challenge me to adopt that same outlook. I believe if we adopt his outlook, we can have a greater impact on our generation. So this morning, we're going to look at three statements that I believe Paul, he lived this out, and it impacted his uh, success and being a testimony to this world. The very first statement about his outlook is this. Expect problems from everyone. Not too pessimistic, <laughs> but pretty close to reality. If you kind of start your idea that, hey, I'm going to see problems, I'm going to experience problems in just about every relationship that I'm involved with, you're probably about on target at that point. Expect problems from everyone. Folks, that's the reality that we live in. Our world is messed up. And consequently, the relationships within that world are messed up. And yes, I'm even talking to Christians. Our relationships are messed up. So I want to start with this baseline, recognizing that we are going to have problems. That is the status quo. That's the baseline that we're going to start with. So we're going to look at Jesus first and then Paul about this idea of problems. So I want to say this, that Jesus out of his own words, promised his disciples that they were going to have problems. So John chapter 16, verse 33. This is Jesus talking. He says this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. I'm so glad he started with that. That's the foundation. He says, before I get to the bad part, let me share the good part. You and I can have peace. We have access to peace. Now, whether or not we choose to take advantage of that peace really depends on the choices that we make as Christians. So I'm so glad that Jesus says, you can have peace. He says, in the world, you will, not may or might, you will have tribulation. That's directly out of Jesus' mouth. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to have struggles. But I love what he says here. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So let's get the, the mindset of Jesus. Jesus is saying that in this world, you're going to have problems. I mean, accept it, acknowledge it, live with it. You can have peace. He, that's a, it's accessible to us. We're going to have problems, he says, but I want you to know, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We are going to be victorious. We, we have the victory. It's a done deal. So Jesus says very clearly, these are the things that we're going to face. We're going to have problems. Now let's look at Paul. Paul faced opposition from everyone. As Pastor Aaron read the scripture, we're talking about over and over again, all these problems, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, whipped, you know, all these horrible things that happened to him. Yet it didn't cause him to quit. He got up and kept going. He faced it. He dealt with it. So Paul struggled with problems from everyone. First of all, he struggled with problems from his fellow apostles. Remember back when he first got saved and he tried to get introduced to the other apostles and they were afraid of him. They remembered how he was when he was named Saul. 
And it took Barnabas and it took Ananias probably to say, hey, he's cool, he's good, he's changed, he's born again. But they were still not convinced. They struggled to accept him when he became they fought him when he began preaching to the Gentiles. Remember, early in the book of Acts, the, the gospel was being presented primarily to the Jews. And then later on in Peter's ministry, and definitely in Paul's ministry, it was more to the Gentiles, and then exclusively to the Gentiles. They didn't like that. He also faced problems from the Jews in the synagogue. Jews did not like what he was saying, so they spoke out against him every chance they got. Paul's message was one of change, and they didn't want to change. They were hesitant to accept change. Now, one of the things that I think about and I promote is that life is filled with transition. Now, sometimes we think, you know, I liked it better when it was 10 years ago. I like it better when we lived over there. And often, when we go back or we go to the place that we really were happy, we find out things have changed. I've changed, they've changed, the situation's changed. So we really can't go back. Life is filled with change. And the Jews didn't like that. They struggled with that. They wanted, uh, Paul wanted to change the day of worship. It went from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, he changed the emphasis from tradition to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He also changed the audience from just the Jews to also include the Gentiles. Once again, not happy about that. And then the third group that didn't, weren't happy with uh, Paul were the unbelievers. Uh, they once stoned him and left him for dead. How many in this room have ever been hit by a rock? Raise your hand really high so I can see my fellow pain believers. All right. So I'll share a story with you with, about my brother. I'm three years older than my brother. And for whatever reason, I enjoyed irritating him. It was a sport. And my brother, hopefully you guys don't have this same temper, but he had a temper that when he lost it, there was no more rational thinking. So I always knew when he lost it, when the vein in his neck would pop out, his face would turn red, and his eyes would get bigger. That was always a telltale sign for me to leave quickly. So at this point, when I'm doing this, I'm probably 10, maybe 9, and I'm about 100 pounds lighter at that point. I was fast. So as soon as I saw the telltale signs of him getting upset and losing his temper, that was my signal to take off, running. It wouldn't take me long to get into a full, you know, full-on run, but he would always either pick up a rock, a boot, or a Tonka truck. Remember the Tonka trucks back in the day? They were metal. They were heavy. They were tough. Not this stinking plastic stuff today. But whatever is convenient, he'd grab it and throw it, and I could never outrun a rock as fast as I was. And so I've had my head split open so many times from various things at his hands, precipitated by my actions that I can remember. <laughs> now that I think about it, maybe I can't remember all the stuff that happened, but <laughs> getting hit by a rock is unpleasant. Paul was hit so many times with rocks that he was left for dead. That's pretty bad. Now, thank the Lord he wasn't dead. He got up later and continued his ministry. In fact, Paul had lots and lots of problems, and this was one of them. 
I am going to ask you this morning, do you have problems? Are you struggling with problems? Were there problems last night keeping you from being able to sleep? You know, the older we get, the harder it is to sleep. I've always said this. I can go to sleep. I just can't stay asleep. I'll go to sleep like a rock, uh, 10, 10.30, and then about 2 o'clock, I'm awake. Sometimes I can go back to sleep. Most of the time, ain't happening. So it's rough going through life sleep-deprived. And I'm looking at some of you. Maybe that's the case here today sleep-deprived. It's tough. Problems are a reality. It's a part of life. Paul did not shy away from problems. He faced them. He dealt with them. And I want to submit to you this morning, neither should we. As we go through this message this morning, I want to encourage you to think about how you, your own plan, your own facing of problems, how are you doing? How are you doing? So number one, expect problems from everyone. Number two, view problems as possibilities or opportunities. I mentioned a little bit about my life when I was younger. Back when I was in high school, I was a fairly happy-go-lucky person. Pretty sarcastic. If, I know it's hard to imagine right now that I would be sarcastic, but I was. Got in trouble a lot for being sarcastic. I thought I was a funny guy. But as I've gotten older, as the problems have rolled in, going to war in Iraq, going to war in Afghanistan, and being married, and being separated from family and friends, and financial stresses, all the issues that we face in life, I have found myself becoming more cynical. In fact, even my wife of many years has mentioned to me that I'm, a, I'm slightly more cynical than I was when I was younger. And that happens. You get older, cares of the world issues that we face. It's called adulting, I think, today. When you're adulting, it's heavy. It's a load. And it can be an overwhelming load sometimes. So we respond in different ways. There's actually two ways I think we can respond that are probably more negative than positive. What has a lifetime of problems caused us to do? Well, the first thing is we become desensitized. You've heard the word before. You become numb. You don't feel it. You're like an overload. Can't take it. Desensitize. The things that used to upset us as immoral or wrong no longer bother us. Things that used to break our hearts are now more, nothing more than entertainment that Christians watch on TV. So we can become desensitized. We just don't feel it anymore. We're not impacted by it anymore. And that's after a lifetime of problems, we become desensitized. Or what about demoralized? We get worn down. So we don't, so we, to the point we give up and we say, forget it. Are you guys here this morning? Are you desensitized? Are you demoralized? Are you tired? Do you feel like you want to retire from your Christian life? Sometimes we can get to the point where we're so frustrated and so overwhelmed that we are coasting. I think one of the biggest problems we have as Christians in America is that we're asleep. Not physically asleep, but spiritually asleep. We're not really responding. We're more reacting. But even that is probably too big of a word to use. We're demoralized. We don't fight anymore about things that are important. 
we withdraw from our world and don't stand up for righteousness or even share the gospel anymore. We get quiet on issues because we don't want to be labeled a radical. So we say nothing about sin. We're tired. We're overwhelmed. We're demoralized. That's what a lifetime of problems have caused us to do. But what about a lifetime of problems? What did it lead Paul to do? What was his perspective? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. We need to get this. Paul saw all the problems he had as an open door of possibilities. Very different. He wasn't desensitized. He wasn't demoralized. He was energized. In fact, let's look in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9. We see here that he's at Ephesus. We already know some of the stuff that's happened in Ephesus. There's a lot of problems, riots, uh, lots of problems. But he says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Verse 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me. And I love this next statement. And there are many adversaries. Now think about that for a moment. All the issues, the problems that Paul had, he's staying right there in the thick of the battle. He says, when I look at the problems, I see a great and effective door has been opened to me. And oh, by the way, there are a lot of adversaries. That's not his primary focus. His primary focus is the great door of opportunity. And so instead of seeing problems as uh, problems, he sees problems as opportunities. And that is a choice that we make as people. We see problems. Most of the time we equate problems with negative. Avoid, stay away, go around, stop, go back. Paul says, hey, I see the problems. We're going forward. That is a great and effective door, and we're going through it. doesn't matter who the adversaries are. That's an awesome thing to think about. Another verse, going back to Acts chapter 14, verse 3, I want to look at this again. In fact, in verse 2, just uh, to kind of set the context, he says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. And then we see this verse. I love the word therefore. But these guys' minds were being poisoned, stirring up problems and stirring up the people to be angry. And I love Paul. He says, therefore, we stayed there a long time. We have all these problems, and we're going to stay right in the middle of them because there was opportunity. He said, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly. They weren't shying away. They were speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What an awesome thing. Totally different perspective than my perspective. You know, as I run the school, you know, sometimes students, I, I, I like Bill Cosman, like, was your head with you all day today? You know, when you made this decision, were you thinking you know, it's just like one thing after another. And so if we start looking at problems as negative, then we're certainly going to be overwhelmed. But if we look at them as opportunities and how can I turn this to glorify the Lord and edify this human being, that's a very different perspective, one that I think is important. So 
Paul's understanding of problems was different from ours. For Paul, the greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity. He interpreted huge challenges as an open door for greater opportunity. We think, and this is our thinking, we think of opportunity only when everything is settled down, things are falling into place, and everyone is in agreement. How often does that happen? Like never. If you're waiting for things to settle down and for people to be in agreement and things that, you know, you, yeah, this, this feels good, it's not going to happen. We're going to wait and wait and wait and our opportunity will be gone. So if we're waiting for things to settle down, that's, we can't do that. Paul said, forget that. We're going in. We're going to do this. This is a great opportunity. This is a great door. We're going in. So number one, expect problems from everyone. Number two, view problems as possibilities. And finally, number three, use problems to seize the possibilities. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. I love these two verses. He starts up with the word see. Now, in the Greek, that in the grammar, it is an imperative. For anyone who is an English grammarian, you know what an imperative is? It's a command. He is saying, do this whether you feel like it or not. Do it whether the circumstances are optimal or not. He says, you see then that you walk circumspectly. Now, this word circumspectly is a word you don't hear a lot today. But I always visualize snakes when I see circumspectly. So let's imagine, if you will, this floor is filled with snakes. Now, I'm thinking Indiana Jones, if you remember the inside the, yeah, if you remember it, you do. So there are snakes all over the floor. So the very first reaction most of us would have is we jump back on our seat. We're standing on our seats. Nobody getting on the floor to go or leave. But at some point, you need the restroom. At some point, you got to eat. At some point, you got to drink. Snakes are still there. So when you get down and you're walking through the snakes, you're walking circumspectly. You are absolutely dialed in where every snake is. And you're walking where snakes are not. You're not stepping on them. You're stepping around them. And as soon as you get back there, then you're free. Walking circumspectly is a process where you are deliberately walking aware of the circumstances, aware of the dangers. And this is what Paul is saying to the Christians at Ephesus. He says, you see then that you walk circumspectly. And just in case they didn't get the point, next statement. Not as fools, but as wise. Don't be dumb. Problems are normal. Problems are everywhere. That is not an excuse to say, oh, well, can't do it. Too hard. I'll sit down. Done. That is not the opportunity to do that. He is saying you walk circumspectly. When the danger is high, you move smartly. You move wisely. Move, but move wisely. And then verse 16 says, redeeming the time. Once again, another imperative. You redeem the time. This is from a Greek word that comes from the marketplace. You purchase something while you can. You buy it back. You redeem it. Living in Sicily, my wife and I and family, on the base, back when we were in the Navy, uh, it was a joke 
that you would go to the commissary or you'd go to the uh, exchange, and if you needed something and you saw it there, you better buy it because if you come back tomorrow, it's gone. So you take the opportunity and you purchase it now. And that's the idea here. Redeem the time while you can. This is the opportunity. This is the chance. If you don't do it, it's gone. It passes you by. He says, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Folks, we're living in the last days. I am absolutely convinced. We are looking at prophecy being fulfilled, and I believe Jesus' return is imminent. What we do, we must do quickly. There's no place for us, for us to say, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. I want to retire. I'm talking about from the Christian life. We need to be capturing moments and time. Paul is saying to make use or good use of your time because the days are evil. Because the days are evil, there are many opportunities. Open your eyes in your neighborhood. Open your eyes at work. Open your eyes to family gatherings. And if you do, you will see hurting people everywhere. We need to be sent. We've got to have our spiritual antennas up and be able to speak that word when it needs to be spoken so that we can be used by God to see people get saved. There's that, uh, I think it's Latin, carpe diem, probably overly used, but it means seize the day. Take advantage of it. Don't be passive. Do it. Make it happen. Paul's response to a riot that he had caused. There we had mentioned earlier that when he was in Ephesus, there were so many people getting saved that the silversmiths who were making those little statuettes of silver, man, their business model was shot. Do you think they were happy about it? Absolutely not. And they looked at Paul and said, you're the man, you did this. And they were rioting, all kinds of issues going on. Paul looked at it and said, all right, this is an opportunity. Let's take advantage of it. They're listening. I've got their attention. Let's preach. Let's do this. Paul's attitude was, hey, it's the fourth quarter. We're down by 20 points. Give me the ball. For the folks who play football or like watching it on TV, man, it's fun to see a team come back, especially if they're down really far. And you know those superstars, the ones that want the ball, give me the ball. That's Paul. He didn't slink away from hardship. He didn't slink away just because he'd been whipped a few times or, you know, uh, stoned a few times. Give me the ball. Paul saw problems as an opportunity to seize the moment for God's glory. My question this morning is, are we? Where are we right now? As we look forward to 2023, it's coming 27 days from now. What are we going to do differently in 2023 than what we did in 2022? Because if we don't have a proactive plan, it's going to look just like this year. It won't change. If you're overwhelmed by problems now, you're going to be overwhelmed by problems in 2023. If you have mentally, emotionally, and spiritually retired in 2022, you're going to do the same thing in 2023. The point is this. We've got to be proactive and have a plan how it will be different. 
So instead of being discouraged, Paul was encouraged. I want that attitude as well. I am tempted, and sometimes it happens. I get demoralized. Sometimes I get desensitized, just like you guys do. That's not really the point. The point is what I do about it. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Here is a sad truth. Everyone has problems. I want those three words to sear into your mind. That is normal. If you think you're special because you've got problems, think again. We all have problems. Here's the point. If we're going to resist falling back and uh, being demoralized and desensitized because of our problems, we've got to make a conscious choice to be different. We need to respond. Have you sat down and quit because of the problems? Have you given up? Have you decided to no longer say anything about anything just to keep the peace? Paul's life challenges us to remember we are the only salt and light this world has. If we do nothing, nothing gets done. If we say nothing, the world will never know. In what areas of your life do you need to seize the day? Is it at the workplace? Is it in your family? Where is it? Here at church? Where do you need to say, you know what, give me the ball. I'm tired of succumbing to that paralysis. I'm tired of doing nothing. I want the ball. From now on, let's be a people that when an overwhelming problem arises, we see the opportunity and not just the problem. It's hard. I freely admit that. Here I am, 59 years old, and I have problems too. But we've got to make a choice to respond differently. Paul was at the right place at the right time to say the right thing when the problems came up. We, as modern-day Christians, have been placed on this earth to the, do the very same thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what our ears have heard today. And Lord, I don't know where people's hearts are. I'm sure some here this morning are absolutely discouraged. Maybe didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Maybe this has been a tough season. And then going into the holiday season, it can be very discouraging. And Father, maybe some here have made decisions and they are now living in the results or the consequences of their decisions. I ask, God, that you would speak very clearly to each of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to make a commitment. Help us to choose to respond to problems differently. Help us not just to resign ourselves and give up and just sleep our lives away. Help us, Lord, to recommit ourselves to you. And then, Lord, maybe there's some in this room that they're hearing this and they're not even born again. They, they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. Maybe they cannot remember a time when they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, may this be the day of salvation. May that individual recognize, I haven't even started the race. 
I need to start the race, and that starts with salvation. I pray that that individual or those individuals who have not accepted Jesus as their Savior, Lord, that today that they would make that commitment, that after the service they would find me or, or another pastor or someone to ask, what must I do to be saved? Father, it's an important question. And I pray for our church, Lord, as we go into 2023. Father, may we see overwhelming blessings as we commit to you to be the best church, the most unified church, the most on fire church for you. Father, help us to disregard these problems and recognize them and react to them as opportunities and not just problems. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.